Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Setting the Tone Interviews. My name is Elizabeth and today Daniel, Lauren, and I are delighted to have the chance to sit down with Christine Elise. Ms. Elise is best known to ER fans for playing the role of Harper Tracy, making 15 appearances throughout season 2 of the show. Ms. Elise, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Not at all, happy to be here. So to get us started, uh, how did you get involved with ER? Like, was the role written with uh, you in mind specifically or was there sort of an audition process for you? Uh, only one job in my whole life was written for me. So, um, no, it was a regular old audition process. I knew that, um, they were adding a love interest for Carter before they actually did. And I had my agents, I'm like, look out for it. I'd love to do that show. And I'd love to have a nice big chunk of time on that show. And, um, I don't know if it's because my agents dropped the ball or, um, the people that produce, uh, ER also do China Beach, so they know me from China Beach, and Steve, John Levy, the casting director, also knows me. So I don't know, because I didn't head of the class, and I did China Beach through that casting office, too. So I don't know what the issue was, but one day I was at 11 o'clock in the morning, I got a call that I had an audition that day at 2 um, to play the girlfriend of Carter. And the prototype for the character was um, Helen Hunt from Mad About You. Oh, okay. Oh. Sort, of preppy, sort of preppy and mainstream girl. Uh, that's, I didn't get that information, though. I didn't know that. So I went in as myself. I went in with, like, oversized chinos and my jack boots and my hair up and red lipstick and um, did it as myself. And then they said, okay, that was great. Come back at 6 o'clock for a chemistry read with um, Noah which I did, but Noah was busy on set and couldn't come to the read, so they just had me read again. And that was like 6.30 at night on a Monday, and I got the job and was on the set the next day at 6 a.m. Wow. I was wow. literally the last person they saw for the role. That's impressive. Um, and you, you touched on this a little bit. So once you got um, hired, how much of your own personality and style do you feel like you brought through to the character? My style, they changed it, obviously, from the Helen Hunt look to my look. So as much to the degree that they made me wear red lipstick for a year, I could never change the lipstick. I was like, good Lord, but I just have a nude lip one day. No, no, no. Has to be the red. And then my roots in my hair, whenever I would get my hair done and take care of the roots, they would mascara the roots back in again. So essentially it was me, you know, mm -hmm. um, but the character is what they wrote. So uh, but there, I, my theory is that there are two kinds of actors. Is the actors like Meryl Streep who become invisible in the role they're playing, and the actors like actors like uh, Jack Nicholson who are themselves in that character's role. Like they, they bring more of themselves to it. I'm definitely more of the Jack Nicholson type actor. I just don't have the skill set to lose myself the way Meryl Streep does. So I think there's definitely. But, I mean, it's true for, I think, all actors. Even Meryl Streep, part of her, who she is, is in all of her characters. And unless you know her personally, you might not spot what, which things those are, you know? So your character first appears in the season two premiere. Um, how was it trying to fit in with an already established group of actors, you know, especially knowing how big the show was already at that point? Um, I have most of my careers as a guest star, so it's a, that's a thing I've done a lot. I'm sort of a professional guest star. Uh, it's always a little bit awkward because everybody knows each other and they have a definitely family dynamic and they know, everyone knows, you know, who the crazy people are, who to avoid. You know, they have bonds and stuff that you're not aware of, and it's new kid. It's definitely a new kid in school feeling, but one that I'm really used to. And 
it wasn't as bad on that show as it could have been because half the crew had worked with me on China Beach and um, and the writers and the producers and the directors even I knew from other from China Beach or other jobs so it wasn't quite as clunky as it could have been and Noah was a, was particularly sweet so it was um, it wasn't hard it was and I was really excited it was a huge 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 show at the time and such a smart show and I was really grateful to be there is that kind of what drew you to the wanting to be a part of it in the first place of course it's a great show it's a really incredibly well written and well acted show and really dynamic and it was different and it was getting an audience share that doesn't happen anymore Mm -hmm. tv shows Mm -hmm. don't get the kind of audience that network television used to get when it was just four channels you know uh, so do you have any specific memories of filming that very first episode? You know, like you said, it was kind of a whirlwind process. You audition on Monday and you're at work Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. So do you remember what that first day was like for you? I do in that, uh, first of all, all the rehearsals have a tech rehearsal first that you do with the medical techs that are there as consultants to make sure everything's accurate, medically accurate, that you do the right thing. You don't look fake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole process of like rehearse it with the tech people and then you rehearse it for the director and um, for performance. And um, the first episode I did, I had to do CPR, fake CPR. And I had to do, I think, also put an IV in somebody, um, which is a lot when you have to say technical dialogue and the pace of that show is really frantic. Uh, and so there's no time to sort of mumble at your, you know, be pensive and moody about your dialogue. You just got to spit it out fast, like you're confident in that urgency, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the C- the C- the compressions, chest compressions. If you watch the show, pe- there are people who are good at doing it and people who are not good at doing it, because uh, your real chest compressions are incredibly powerful, and you're like people get broken ribs from having their CPR done on them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't do that to a human, actual human being, and so you have to do this weird fake pretend that you're pushing and. You sort of you're supposed to you know sort of catch that impact in your shoulders and pretend that you're pushing down, but like have your own body work as a shock absorber and take the impact into yourself. And um, I don't know how well I'd pulled it off. I've seen people do it really well. I've seen people do it on all all shows in every situation where an actor has to do CPR like that. Some people just it's it's comical how fake it looks, um, and it's hard to do. So it was really a lot of pressure. It was really um, stressful. It was really scary because I I wanted to. It, that show, it was like, we'll bring you in for one, and if it goes well, it could be 10. So it wasn't a guaranteed. I didn't know how long the show was going to go on my first day on set. So um, I w- had the pressure to perform because if I didn't do well, they wouldn't keep me. Right. <laughs> so it was scary. Yeah, for sure. We've actually we've talked to one of the prop guys uh, from one of the later seasons, and he actually mentioned specifically about the CPR, I guess, that over time enough people got hurt doing the CPR, like I guess the Extra, whoever the patient was got hurt from doing it that they actually developed like a fake plastic chest to go over there like to mold over their chest so that you could push down as hard as you want and you wouldn't hurt them so yeah so. you know i never understood why they didn't frame it in such a way that you could just have it be a gurney you know what i mean or, or mm. a cpr doll the fr- you could frame it i mean the, the magic of movies right you can make things look like anything you want so you could show the person about to do c- compressions on the real actor and then cut to a dummy and have them really you know cr- fucking crushing the dummy's <laughs> chest you know the, the body language of the actor doing the chest impressions is accurate i never understood why, they, why all shows all shows that have cpr on them should 
work around that. Because see, seeing somebody like often you'll see somebody who their arms are straight out, but not not vert like not, they're not using their body weight above like you do a like a, um, a push up. Mm-hmm. They have their hands out like they're warming them over a fire, like outstretched, and then trying to like put, like you can get any, there's no way you can get any strength in your push downs from reaching out from like three feet away, right? Push put like you're like doing some weird warming your hands over a fire mm-hmm. that's, that's you know far in front of you and um watch another watch watch whenever you see any show to cpr it's often so comically bad so i, I don't know we've we've kept a pretty close watch over the the cpr so far and i think I i'm think, not saying er in particular i'm talking all shows oh sure no for sure yeah i actually used to teach cpr so i i kind of am a stickler about it and so i yeah we've we've kept an eye out for and there you're right there are definitely some folks on there who are you, you can tell who's better than others. Uh, yeah. I don't think I remember any of yours being particularly bad. So I think you're in the clear. So you mentioned that first day, but moving forward, how was the learning curve of being thrust into a show with lots of fast-paced dialogue and complex medical terminology? Did it get any easier? No. No. <laughs> it, that's that's sort of a, because it's all new dialogues. If you have to say the same things over and over, mm-hmm. those certain phrases, if you're, if you're, there are certain phrases that get repeated all the time, you know, and those are, they, they come, they roll off your tongue a little easier as time goes on when you get used to saying them, you don't feel silly because you're saying these doctor terms and you're not a doctor. But uh, technical stuff, yeah, it's always really difficult. I'm, I'm, I'm usually pretty good at memorization, mm-hmm. um, but that stuff's just difficult to memorize because there's, no, there's just no, it's just like phonetically repeating a foreign language, you know. Um, I know that the, the master of it of all time is Noah Wiley. Noah could do a full page speech of technical stuff at, at a clip and in one take. He was really a master wow. at that. I was not. <laughs> the, big, <laughs> the bigger pressure uh, is, and people would sometimes cheat. I'm not gonna name names. I've done it occasionally. <laughs> I, I wasn't really, I learned it from somebody else and I won't say who, but you know, when you're carrying a clipboard around or, and you're look, or you're working over a patient and they're on your face, but you're looking down, mm-hmm. you can have dialogue written in places where you can look down naturally at it and see it and pick it up and say it, you know, and it doesn't look like you're reading anything because it's, it's hidden around on stuff, you know? Yeah. So particularly tough phrases I would sometimes put, because, because the real pressure on that show isn't technical dialogue. The real pressure on that show was uh, these, these like 10 page scenes they do in one take, one long unbroken take. Mm-hmm. So at, often the most fr- frantic stuff when people are coming in on gurneys and the paramedics are saying what's going on and the doctors are grabbing them and saying what should happen next. And they're running through the hallways and you have, you know, 50 extras that are all choreographed to come in and cut through things here and there. And sometimes, you know, somebody like Noah could have a whole page of a speech. He nails it, you know, like a medical genius. And then I have to come in on page nine and say, over here, Carter. (laughs) And if you miss that cue, the whole thing has to start over again. Mm. And then someone like Noah, who's just had it just master, you know, masterfully executed an, an, a full page speech has to do it again because I fucked up, you know? So that was the real pressure on that show was, it was those really long one camera take scenes that were so careful. We would choreograph them for hours, hours and hours. Like they would and then do like four takes of it, but like hours and hours of choreographing it so that when you finally got to do it, you could nail it. And it was a lot of pressure. 
was there ever a time that you specifically messed up one of those scenes or i don't remember one specifically offhand but i'm certain that i did everybody did and you feel like the biggest asshole on earth it's just the worst you're like oh fuck 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 i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i'm so sorry you know and we have we have found uh one instance in the show of uh, a cast member their cheat sheet <laughs> yeah, being visible yeah during a trauma yeah yes. it's very brief you got to really know what you're looking for but yeah it's it's there Again, we, yeah. we don't have to, no, it wasn't you. No, it wasn't was not you. you. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's somebody who's very notorious for that. So, so. Okay. We all screamed when we saw it. We were so excited we caught one. <laughs> yeah, it happened. And, you know, in all fairness, you can't blame people. So it's still acting. You know, if you're going to look down and read it and, and then deliver it, like it makes sense. Like it's, you're still acting, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Acting isn't all memorization. It's performance. So if you can trick people into believing you didn't just read it off the page, then <laughs> I'm okay with it. So shifting gears a little bit, uh, you mentioned we've mentioned already the bulk of your character story is as part of a romance with John Carter. So what are your memories of working with Noah Wiley? No, it was super, super, super awesome. Um, I was living with Jason Priestley at the time, and uh, I had done 90210 when it was at the peak of its fame. So very similar timing for me on those two shows. And uh, and Noah, I think, was a little bit overwhelmed, and Jason was feeling, you know, big brothery to him, and. Um, I love Noah. He was really funny and really kind. I think he's thought of as the heart, the heart of the show. Like mm-hmm. he's the audience's eyes. He's the one that's feeling everything for you. And um, I think he's a great actor. And he's really fun to work with. One time we, um, I had Jason and I had uh, Noah, and Noah brought David Schwimmer to my house to play poker. And I was sitting at the table with Jason Priestley, who was still nine or two, and it was still huge. Noah Wiley and David Schwimmer. In, at my dining room table in my house and I'm just this girl that grew up on welfare in Boston and never wanted to be an actor and suddenly felt, found myself I fell into it and here I am at the table with the, with three men from the three biggest shows on television at the time it was really surreal did you take all their money That's- I don't even remember <laughs> <laughs> I said I don't even care like, this is I wish I could photograph you know I wish I could you know immortalize this moment uh, but no I don't yeah, know if I sure. want to who cares? Who cares at that point? Right. Yeah. You could say yes, and we'd all believe you. So, right. yes, I took them for all their money. There we go. They could afford it. They could all afford it. And then with that, um, Harper also takes a brief detour with Doug Ross. Um, how was it working with George Clooney? And were you ever the victim of any of his notorious practical jokes? Um, well, you work with George all the time. So, the, the, right. the, I, I, my little uh, sexcapade with George happened off camera, unfortunately <laughs> for me. I didn't even get to kiss the real George Clooney. I never got to touch him, you know? That was a huge ripoff. Um, <laughs> but I work with him all the time. It, these, the, it's a huge ensemble cast. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't like, oh, that, my love story with George was the only time I got to work with him. I actually didn't work with him on my love story with George, <laughs> you know? Um, so, but uh, it was great. I mean, George is one of the kindest actors I've ever witnessed on a set. He's the kind of guy that comes into the makeup trailer in the morning and walks up to even people that have one line. He goes, hi, I'm George. You know, welcome to the show. He's really humble and um, genuine. And uh, and you could feel he had this energy about him where you could feel he was going to become the George Clooney he has since become. That energy was all over him then. You could just feel that he was going to blow up, you know? So despite being only around for 15 episodes, uh, Harper goes through, you know, quite the quite the interesting arc, uh, she, you know, the, the crux of which is she loses a young patient causing her to spiral. 
uh, before ultimately finding our bo voice both personally and professionally. Uh, what do you think the lasting legacy of Harper is as a character? I have no idea. I can't speak to that. I didn't watch all 10 years of the show, um, so I don't know. I'll tell you this, though. Uh, I left the show sort of unexpectedly, and Maria Bello, I think, came in after me to be um, Noah's love interest after I left. Mm -hmm. And two things about that. One, I think we look so much alike that sometimes I'll watch the show and I'll, I'll, I'll be seeing a scene with her and I go, I don't remember doing this scene. And then it's her. It's not even me. Um, and, and then, uh, and wow, did she blow up off that show? Good for her. But um, that show had so many people on it with such, with such, so much more intense storylines than my character had, you know? Um, for sure, yeah. I'm not sure that she had any sort of an, a legacy sort of impact on the show. I mean, she must have some kind of lasting legacy, I feel, because of I me mean, for to only be around for 15 episodes, and yet she's still somebody that, and, and for that season to have been so early on, it was just, you know, just the second season. Um, she's still a character that gets brought up and gets talked about. Um, really? Um, but I don't experience that. I, I, I definitely experienced that from 90210 um, as mm -hmm. a character. I did even fewer of those. I did like 13 90210 spread over the court of spread over four years. I, I will, ne I will never live that show down. Not that I'm trying to, but that show is uh, at, that, that character had a, enormous impact on that show and i'm made i'm made aware of that all the time um nobody seems to even know i was on er like they'll, they'll say oh you were on er who were you and i was out season two pretty much all of season two and i was carter's girlfriend like no 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 <laughs> nobody remembers me so i, I really I, I never recognized from that show never even though i was on it for more i had way more to do on it, it had a, that show had a way bigger audience than 90210 had and yeah, I feel like the forgotten character on that show. So it's interesting that you're saying something contrary to that, because that is not my experience of it. Hmm. I, I will say something personally, as we've gone through season two, we're just about to wrap it up in these next couple weeks. And it's been really refreshing to see Harper as a young professional and how she navigates the world and how you portray that. Just, you know, it's really inspiring and it's a breath of fresh air how frank and you know, feisty she can be when she really needs to make herself heard. So yeah. I think for a lot of young women watching the show, that would definitely be something I would say would be a lasting. Yeah, Harper's always been one of my favorite, like, non-main cast, you know. Non-titular. Yeah, non-titular characters, so. Well, thank you. Um, so just shifting gears a little bit, uh, did you have any favorite guest stars during your brief time on the show? I know there weren't probably a ton. Yeah, I mean, it's the cast, Bill Macy, um, just being on a set with William H. Macy was mm -hmm. pretty cool. Um, but primarily I made a really good friend on that show. There was a girl who was on it who I know as a hallway girl, you know, hallway girls are the girls you see when you're waiting in the hallway to have your audition. The other girls in the hallway are your hallway girls, right? Um, and there was a girl that I met at an audition and she was being psyched out by some bitchy actress that was also like, oh, so, so that's what you're wearing for this character, huh? Like trying to psych her out. And... I pulled her aside and said, oh, that girl's just being a douche. Don't, don't let that affect you. <laughs> and we sort of stayed friendly in the hallways, but then she got cast on ER this, in that season. That's Kristen Minter that played Randy. And oh, um, wow. she and I were like sisters for a very, very, very long time. And I think she had some of the most fun stuff to do on that show. She's a really interesting character. Um, and her, she's got a montage on her acting reel of 
some of her best moments on that show. And I think, and I think they gave her a lot of juicy stuff to do. And I think, uh, I think she's a great actress. So that's a, that's a fun little tidbit. We don't get enough Randy. Um, and then do you have a specific memory or story from the show that stands out as memorable or personally significant? No, no, because you know, the whole thing was so spectacular. Uh, they gave me like they did on China Beach is my favorite professional um, experience of my life for the same reasons that ER is probably you know may rank, rank second is just the quality of the material they give you to do and the quality of the other actors working opposite you so I always say that if you just get the if you just pay look at pay attention to the actor you're working with and just hear the words you're saying and you almost don't even have to act it just happens organically and so i feel like that those shows elevated me um in a way that i can't think of another project that elevated my acting cred more you know and made me they gave me stuff that i was threatened to try to do uh emotional stuff is challenging for me i'm not a super technical uh actress i'm more of an organic winging it hoping it happens kind of actress and if the writing doesn't support an emotional response, I can't manufacture one for the most part. Um, I Actresses like Dana Delaney, she, who's tremendous, she's a really technically able to cry. <laughs> she could cry almost to the point where you go, which, how many tears out of each eye and at what point? You know, she's really hmm. like a machine. And some people who are machine criers aren't moving because you can kind of see their their method and it's not moving. Dana manages to be really good at it and still devastatingly moving. Um, I remember crying off camera working with her on China Beach. Uh, so the scene I had to do with George where I had to cry about that kid, um, I was really, I, I, I read that, you know, two weeks before I had to shoot it and I, every single day for two weeks, I was dreading getting there and, and having those people see me fail you know um but i didn't <laughs> and so and i never have like i, I didn't fail I don't, I don't i didn't let anybody down i don't think on china beach or on er and that's a gift uh that's a gift of the actors around me the tone they set on a set and the quality of the writing so harper's final appearance comes near the end of season two i think it's episode 20 or so into the season um as she leaves her rotation at a hospital in texas what were your emotions like feeling that final episode uh like sort of like was it just another job ending or were you sorry to be leaving of course sorry to be leaving that's a weird moment in my um life i i the only job that was ever written for me is the reason i left er an old friend a guy who gave me one of my first jobs ever had written a part for me in a show called la firefighters and just gave it to me and he was promising that the show would be ER in the firehouse, like with, with similar energy and with a visual like ER, you could tell you were watching ER just by the colors and stuff that you saw when you changed the channel. You didn't even need to see actors to realize what you were watching because the show was had a specific look, you know? And I was excited to go work on a show that I was going to be a lead, a regular, and with friend, with a man that I trusted and um, be a regular. You know, it's a, it's a, I've not been a regular on many shows in my entire 30 years of working. So that was an opportunity I couldn't say no to. Unfortunately, I had a really bad team at the time and it was, my, my leaving was handled badly. Uh, I don't, I was so excited to be, have somebody write a job for me and just give it to me. I didn't have to audition or anything. So I was just like, ah, I'm happy. But really the way it should have been handled was my team should have gone to ER and said, she has this opportunity. Do you want to counter it? Do you want to counter this offer? And, you know, 
make her an offer she can't refuse. Um, they didn't do that. Uh, I don't know what ER would have done had they been presented with that. But John Wells found out that I was leaving the show, I think, in an interview I did, which was really bad. Oh. You know, like, and that's that's partly my fault, but it's more my team's fault. There should have been a there should have been discussions about my my you know the possibility of my leaving, and then was there any possibility that they wanted me to stay? Because uh, had ER said, "Don't do the fire show; we'll make you a regular here." I mean, how would you say no to that? For sure, yeah. Right. I think we we actually just watched your episode, or I have already watched. I don't know if Lizzie and Lauren have yet, but uh, watched your last episode this week and. I was sort of like internally raging as I'm watching it because you are sort of like in and out, like blink and you miss it in that last episode. Um, and it felt like such a kind of undeservingly quick end for a character that we've really grown to love over the course of the season. So it was kind of a bummer. I, a bummer. I think you can blame me for that. I mean, me and my team, because I think that was sort of sprung on them that I, I don't think they ever imagined that I would willingly leave the show if they were willing to have me there. You know, mm -hmm. that's a fucking crazy thing to do. <laughs> Who would leave ER, you know? Um, they they were just caught off guard, I think. I don't think they expected it to happen the way and they didn't have, it's a huge cast and they didn't have um, time to maybe pivot and do it more, do it differently. Sure. And then the same period, there was an article that came out in the magazine that misquoted me as saying that I had a miserable time on ER and um, nothing like, like literally the, the quote was something like, not I have no good memories or something which I never said and I I had them retract it and they did but it was just an awkward unfortunate ending to one of the greatest things that ever happened to me professionally so I feel sad about that would you have been potentially open to uh bringing Harper back at some point yes <laughs> I would have stayed if they said don't do the fire show stay you know sure it would have it would have been very interesting to see her come back in a later season as a mentor, like figure. It would have been super fun, and I would have I would have done it uh, in a heartbeat. I that would have been a lottery win to go back to that show, or to have stayed on it. You know. So the first question that our fans submitted are: Was there an actor or actress that you did not get to work with that you wish you had? Um, I can't answer that question because I didn't really watch the show when I left. Fair. Um, so, uh, so I can't answer that question. Um, specifically, I can say that the show over its tenure had every great actor in the city of Los Angeles um, on it. So prob the answer is, of course, I probably would like to have worked with almost everybody they had on that show. <laughs> they had some great, you know, career, like journeyman actors on that show. And then the other question is, how did the atmosphere of ER's set compare with Beverly Hills 90210? 90210 was a really playful set. Everybody overall was younger. Um, the material is far less intense for the most part. Um, not as much pressure, like heavy lifting acting on that show for the most part. I and mean, occasionally everybody had emotional stuff to do here and there. But just a more frivolous, fun environment where the people, because because it's not for the most part super emotional work or you know high pressure, you know acting scenes, you'd be doing a scene and then the, your actor off camera doing your scene with you, but he's off camera or she usually boys though, they'd be making faces at you and like showing up and with their pants down and their underwear in their underwear to try to throw you so you wouldn't get through the scenes. It was more more jovial and goofier. Uh, not that ER didn't have its light moments too, but it just was a more adult set. And because it, it was a harder show to do, 
and the material was heavier, you know? So uh, we're kind of starting to wrap up here. So what projects are you currently working on and how can fans keep up with your work um, outside of the show? I'm currently working on probably my 20th jigsaw puzzle of quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I'm honest to God, I've probably done 20. I'm a thousand, I do thousand piece puzzles exclusively. It's the sweet spot for me of difficulty. It's just, it's not so hard that it breaks your will to live, but it's hard enough that it takes a couple of days. Um, honest to God, that's, I would do that. And then I watch crime porn on TV. <laughs> like, oh. you know, I'll be gone in the dark and documentaries about death. <laughs> do I like, I'm a big doc person and I like really dark subject matter. The Michael Phelps one about Olympians is really great. It's a bunch of new, but I'll be gone in the dark is, is insane. Um, anyway, as far as work though, nothing's really open. Nothing's happening. Sure. So very, very few productions are shooting because of COVID. So I'm not even auditioning right now. There's nothing going on. Um, there's a Chucky TV series for sci-fi. It's going to be shooting in the fall if they can keep, if COVID doesn't somehow cock block it, that I have my fingers crossed that I'll be invited to join, but I have not, that, that offer hasn't come yet. Although I sit here and I, you know, burn candles and send wishes into the sun every, uh, not into the moon every night. Like last night at the full moon, I'm like, just bring me some Chucky, bring me some Chucky. But it hasn't happened uh, yet. Uh, fingers crossed it will. Um, I also have a, though, I have a vegan cooking channel on YouTube. It's called Delightful, Delicious, Lovely. but the, the, the way to get there is videovegan.com. It's a vegan cooking channel. It's like 150 episodes up so far. I've been really lax in, in shut lockdown here. It's been difficult to get motivated to do anything. Um, but it's a vegan cooking channel for non-vegans, so it's not like me on a soapbox judging people for their choices. It's more uh, try, an, an attempt to offer a tool for people who are wanting to cut back on meat for whatever that reason might be, whether they, like my friend is in his 60s, he had a heart attack and his doctor prescribed him a vegan diet, so he's a medically induced vegan. And then, or some kid comes back from college and declares to their mother that they're vegan and she's like, oh God, what do I, what do I make? Or people just decide they wanna eat less meat for whatever reason, whether it's for the planet or for the health of the, you know, for the lives of the animals, um, all kinds of reasons you want to cut back. And so it's, you know, familiar things like lasagna and pizzas and orange chicken and cheesecake and things that are made so that, it, that you can feel like you're eating the things that you've grown up eating. Cause I grew up eating meat too. Everyone did for the most part. And, um, and you, but you, you recognize them and they taste the same, but they don't involve all the suffering and death. <laughs> and there's a, it's a companion blog. So I had a, I had a, I was a pescatarian for like 30 years. I gave up meat, chicken and pork and, uh, you know, everything but seafood in the late eighties. And, um, and I, I started a blog probably a couple of years before I started the channel and the blog. So has, has actually I had a meat eating boyfriend for a while too. This is a handful of chicken dishes on there. Um, but mostly it's vegetarian and pescatarian and, all of the chan all the recipes on my channel in the notes below have a link that take you to the blog so you can get a printable version of the recipe so you don't have to watch me and like you don't have to cook along with me you can print things out there's a print there's a print option at the bottom of the each recipe on the blog so you can print it out for a shopping list and you can print it out so you can just have it on your counter and read it when you're making the recipe rather than having to find the channel and watch me jibber-jabber a lot because I do a great deal of talking and ranting and raving about not wearing masks and things like that. Mad at people who don't wear masks, to be clear. I'm a totally embracing mask culture. Yes, we're, we're, we're all pro-mask <laughs> here. Clarified. 
<laughs> I, I also wrote, I wrote a dirty comedy novel called Bathing in the Single Girl. You can get it on Amazon. If you go to bathingbook.com, B-A-T-H-I-N-G, bathingbook.com, there's a film tab. If you go to the film tab, there's a 10 minute short film that I wrote and directed that works as a 10 minute trailer for the book. It gives you the idea of the content and the tone. The book is way funnier though, and way, way dirtier. So if you're easy, it's not erotica though. It's not, it's like if Larry David wrote a book about the horrors of dating, it's not sexy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. sold me. <laughs> and it's not chiclet. It's not a chick book. It's it's it, I I it, it's it's raunchy enough to it's for everyone. It's not it's not some it's not a rom com. You know, it's titillating and traumatizing. <laughs> it's traumatizing and uh, shocking, <laughs> and hopefully very 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 funny. So final question, and this is one that we've made an, uh, a habit out of asking everyone that we've talked to. Um, what do you think that fans of the show should know about it from your unique behind-the-scenes perspective? Maybe something that they would not have gotten just from watching you on the show. That's kind of a, 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 a tough thing to answer. I, I think what I would like to say, though, is a lot of people think that actors' resumes reflect their taste in entertainment. Um, like well, people say, well, how do I recognize you? And oh, yeah, I was on, you know, in the heat of the night. Oh, sorry, I don't watch that. It's like, first of all, I don't require you to have watched everything that's on my resume. It's not a rule I have for the rest of the world out there. But also, like, don't think that because I did a Matlock, it's because I think Matlock is the best show in television history. I did Matlock because they offered me the job. I, every job on my resume, I did it because they offered it to me. Mm -hmm. And there's very few jobs that I've said no to. The only thing I've ever said no to is when they want me to agree to, uh, non-negotiable nudity i'm not a nude girl i never i don't like being i'm not I have no judgment about it i like to watch shows where people are naked but i don't want to be one of them so um but my resume reflects what the the shows that my agent could get me in on and the ones that and those from those auditions the ones that i got so yeah i'd prefer to have the career of philip seymour hoffman or you know scarlett johansson but i didn't get those jobs you know but there's a few rare exceptions where the shows on my resume do reflect my taste and ER is one of them. Um, I was, like I said, I told you I, I was pursuing, I was sniffing around wanting to be on that show before I got the job. I really wanted to be part of it. And I'm super, super grateful I was. Um, I think that another mistake people make about shows is that you think that you take everybody home with you. Like you get like, you, like I hang out with George Clooney all the time, which I do not, you know, it's a, it's a work environment and it's there's no from my perspective there's no such thing as a bad work experience i just to be allowed to be an actor to be allowed to get paid to be creative is such a gift i always especially like when i'm working on a lot that was shot at the warner brothers lot which i the lots have so much history on them shot on the same lot that they shot casablanca that makes my heart go pitter pat i love that so much and i love to be on a set where everybody else there whether they are the um the craft service people to the grips and electricians and set, you know, builders and prop people and hair and makeup people, everybody, writers, directors, everybody chose to be creative for a living. It's such a risky thing to do. It's such a dangerous career path. It's such a dangerous, insecure life choice. So I always feel just awash with gratitude on every set that I'm ever on. And that was one of the finest ones I've ever been on. So. <laughs>